Welcome to Unconscious. This is episode 27, Intermittent Fasting for Better Health and Aging, an interview with Jamie Rose Chambers. Welcome to Unconscious. I'm your host, Liz Cook, functional nutritionist and founder of One Seed Organic Perfumes. Today we're talking to dietitian, nutritionist and author, Jamie Rose Chambers about all things intermittent fasting. Jamie spent six years as the nutrition leader for the New South Wales government project Go For Fun, which targets overweight and obese children, and three years consulting to Eat Fit Food as their head of nutrition and wellness. Jamie has a special interest in prostate and breast cancer and is strongly affiliated with the Prostate Cancer Centre at St Vincent Hospital. She's a regular nutrition contributor and commentator for publications such as the Australian Women's Weekly, Body and Soul, Clio and Cosmopolitan magazines and appears on shows such as Healthy Me TV, Today Tonight and A Current Affair. Jamie has published two books on the topic of intermittent fasting and co-authored the book The Mystery Gut with her colleagues Dr Claudia Lee and Professor Karen Phelps. In today's discussion, we chat specifically about the benefits and potential risks of intermittent fasting and its impact on weight management and a host of disease states, including diabetes, depression, neurodegenerative diseases, memory and cognition and more. What we're talking about here are things like Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease, the mechanism is believed to be based on the fact that intermittent fasting can sort of help protect the degeneration of the neurons um, that occur in these diseases. So, you know, there might be an anti-inflammatory component to that as well. Again, lots of research still going into that and also obviously a lot of research needing to be done. But um, some interesting stuff coming out about that too. So let's jump in. Jamie, I am so excited to have you here today because you know this is actually our first recording in, oh, I think it was September last year. So what are we, like eight months? This is actually our first interview recording in eight months after a very long hiatus. We're now back and I'm so excited to have you, um, our first interviewee. Um, I guess we can technically call it season two. It was accidental season two. Um, but yeah, I'm so excited for you to kind of, you know, hit us off into the next phase of, of the Unconscious podcast. So thank you for being here today. Oh, thank you. I'm honoured to be your first uh, your first interview in season two. Thanks for having me. Yeah. No, that's excellent. And do you know, for, for everybody who already listens and thinks, hang on, who is that weird sounding lady with the same accent but the different voice? It <laughs> is Liz Cook. I'm just a little sexier and huskier today. But um, my friends say, hey, keep it because it's sexy. So I thought, why not record a podcast while we got this Absolutely. going on? So it's there for all eternity. So Jamie, you um, we're talking about intermittent fasting today and, and probably a lot of the things that people don't necessarily think to ask or don't necessarily see in the media or socials or whatever. So I'd like to do a deep dive into some of the lesser asked questions and whatnot. So let's talk first um, about 16-8, which is sort of the, the general way that you um, teach people about fasting. Most of us have probably heard of it or maybe tried it, the 16-8 fasting. And we generally think of this as a method of weight loss. But firstly, can we talk about some of the lesser discussed benefits of fasting on the body, like better aging, reducing inflammation and protecting against degenerative diseases and so on. Um, and I even read an article in JAMA recently discussing the benefits of intermittent fasting for depression. Can you talk to that for me? Yeah, sure. So I think probably, you know, the media's done a great job of, of um, you know, making intermittent fasting incredibly popular um, and look, I think most of us are really intrigued by the weight loss side of it. But what I think is so interesting is outside of weight loss, there are some incredible health benefits um, that are being shown quite consistently in the research. So um, when we talk about aging, I mean, we're not talking about kind of getting rid of wrinkles or anything. What we're talking about here is... is Darn it. <laughs> different conversation. <laughs> um, we're talking about longevity. So Obviously, this is an incredibly difficult one to um, research because, um, you know, intermittent fasting as a regular part of our lifestyle really hasn't been around for very long. But what we, what the researchers have found are that, um, you know, biomarkers that build up as we age um, may, be, may slow down with the use of regular intermittent fasting. So that's really, really interesting and I think more research is being done on that. Um, Gut health, that's a, you know, I've, I've co-written a book on gut health and it's probably, 
outside of weight management and all the comorbidities that go along with that, I think gut health is probably the other thing I focus on in clinic um, and what I, I guess I kind of specialize in. And, and the really interesting thing, I mean, aside from, you know, what I've anecdotally seen in clinic with patients uh, having improved digestion, um, reporting to me they feel sort of uh, lighter, um, less bloated, that sometimes their bowel function has improved. Um, obviously, this is not always the case, but as, as a general rule, these are uh, really common things I hear from my patients who do co- who do regular intermittent fasting. The research has, has shown that I, I heard a really good anecdote the other day that you know, if you imagine that the gut is like a super highway and that there's constantly trucks going up and down it, it's really hard to repair if it needs repairing. Whereas when that super mm. highway, you know, there's no trucks going up and down, it's it's blocked off for a while, it gets time, it, you know, the, the, there's time for it to repair and to, um, you know, be in good shape again before, you know, more food as in trucks sort of come blasting back down it. So, um, there's some, you know, there's some uh, research coming through about gut health, the increased diversity of um, bacteria in the gut um, when someone does intermittent fasting. So again, a lot of this is, yeah, a lot of this is quite preliminary research, but still some really interesting stuff coming through. You mentioned before neurodegenerative diseases. That's a really cool one. So um, what we're talking about here are things like Parkinson's disease, Alzheimer's disease. The mechanism is believed to be based on the fact that intermittent fasting can sort of help protect the the degeneration of the neurons um, that occur in these diseases. So, um, you know, there might be an anti-inflammatory component to that as well. Again, lots of research still going into that and also obviously a lot of research needing to be done. But, um, you know, some some interesting stuff coming out about that too. Also, uh, depression, you mentioned before the JAMA study. Yeah. You know, again, whether it's related to the fact that, as a general rule, people who are uh, overweight and obese tend to have a higher rate of depression. So whether the fact that intermittent fasting and the weight loss that often goes along with that helps to improve that depression or whether maybe on a more clinical level there's an inflammatory component to that, again, we're not quite sure. Um, but certainly there, there is, it's perceived to be, there is perceived to be a relationship there. Um, but even on a sort of more um, general level, you know, let's say on the, on, a, on a healthy population, most people in in across the board in all studies that have been done, most people report an improvement in their energy levels, an improvement in their memory and cognition, and and also improvement in sleep in many cases as well. So all those sort of wellness factors that make us feel well and and often then have a role on effect to help us manage our weight and and therefore help to improve things like type 2 diabetes, insulin resistance, you know, high cholesterol, blood pressure, etc. Um, you know, I think it can it can help on a number of different levels. And then of course, um, if we're looking at I, I think probably one of the main things that come out that comes out of the research is the improvement on glycemic control. So that's basically our ability to control the amount of the, the sugars in our blood. And we know, obviously, once that becomes a chronic condition, we're looking at things like pre-diabetes, insulin resistance, and type 2 diabetes. And so, um, you know, again, intermittent fasting um, has been shown to be quite beneficial for that as well. And when you talk about glucose control, and, and as you're talking about depression, I was thinking the same thing, that sometimes that's even part of that can be about the glucose control as well, because when your glucose is all over the place, can seriously affect your mental health too. So, But it's interesting because I think a lot of people who might be skeptical of a practice like intermittent fasting, um, especially people who come from, let's say, a clinical background or a medical sort of background, they want to see you know, the hard data. But the thing is that a lot of these things are measurable anecdotally, but not yet measurable because there's so many biomarkers involved and so many things that we, metabolites, for example, involved that we can't necessarily take a measurement of yet, or we haven't discovered as yet. So, so it sounds to me like what you're saying is there's a lot more evidence anecdotally and reported back and the reasons for um, some of these incredible results are still yet being, um, you know, we're, we're trying to discover what those reasons are. But anecdotally, we can see that it's absolutely working uh, for so many people with so many conditions. Is that what you would say? So I think really, you know, the research has just not been around for very long. So 
I think the the researchers have two challenges. One is not having large groups of people to do the research on, and the other is getting funding for certain research studies. So, you know, I mean, and that's a common case in nutrition. So we we just have to take the information that we've got. Um, and, and, you know, I think as long as there's no um, adverse effects, um, you know, and that's something that I do on what I've based the, the books on too, you know, there's some really strong research um, in certain areas um, and then there's still um, some areas that are showing promise but uh, still need a lot of research behind them, particularly to, you know, for medical professionals to use them, um, you know, on a more regular basis or with confidence with their with their patients. So I think that's probably really where we're at at the moment. Yeah, and we'll come back to that because there's obviously some uh, some people that I uh, intermittent fasting doesn't work for or should be avoided or we have to make some amendments to it and we'll talk you know we'd, we'd, for example if we're talking about people with um, diabetes that might be out of control and things like that. So we'll come back to thinking about um, those that kind of group in a second and talking through some of those issues. Let's go back to this idea of fasting and weight loss um, because I think lots of people are interested in how that works and whether it's suitable for them and, you know, is it is it a bona fide way to actually lo- lose weight because it kind of feels a little too good to be true sometimes. So we've been told for a long time that slow and steady weight loss is the only true way to lose body fat. And I'm in my mid-40s and that's kind of how I've grown up. It was like you lose half to one kilo a week and that's the only way you can really lose actual fat, etc. But in my experience as a nutritionist and also in my personal life and I'm sure in your um, in your clinic as well, the science and the anecdotes don't actually demonstrate that the only way to lose to have fat loss that's um, long lasting is to do that kind of slow and steady plot along. So for most people, fasting is highly effective, like so is a ketogenic diet, for example. Can we talk about why that is, given that we've been told for years that this isn't a realistic way to achieve results? Yeah, I think there's probably two sides to that. So first and foremost, I think long term, in order to, I guess, sort of really scientifically, metabolically, physiologically lose a safe amount of fat mass, not weight mass, uh, but fat mass, you know, anything more than a half to one kilogram of fat mass per week, my concern is that you're not meeting nutritional requirements. Yeah. My concern is that long term, that is completely unsustainable. And look, I'll be honest and say, I don't think half to one kilo a week is really, is all that slow. I mean, okay. certainly initially when anyone starts a weight loss regime, it's usually uh, a small amount of fat they'll lose and, and, and part of that will be water weight always. So it always appears as though we, we start by losing more weight or, or, you know, weight than we actually do, but only part of that is fat mass. So that, that's a very common thing that happens. Um, I think, you know, there are there is some research that suggests that for a lot of people uh, on a weight loss journey that having that initial bigger weight loss can be very motivating um, and I, I certainly don't disagree with that. I think that, you know, certainly, um, you know, can really spur people along to continue on. But I think once you settle into it, if you're in for a long weight loss journey, you know, it's just completely unsustainable to be doing anything so extreme that you're losing more than half to one kilogram of fat mass per week. So I, I yeah. think that, that well, and I guess it also depends on the starting weight too. Like it's different if you're 180 kilos compared with 65 oh, kilos, isn't absolutely. it? Absolutely. That that's obviously yeah. a variable. Yeah, absolutely. So definitely, you, your starting point is very relevant in in you know all our discussion today when it comes to um, you know weight management, when it comes to intermittent fasting. Your starting health state and your starting weight is incredibly important um, because that's yes. really going to determine then. What, what path you take and what's going to be appropriate for you and what kind of um, results you can expect as well. So, yeah, absolutely. I totally agree with you. As far as intermittent fasting goes, look, the way I like to see intermittent fasting is it's one of the many tools that we can use for weight loss. It's not for everyone, but I do find that the, the common pitfalls to traditional calorie restriction or calorie restricted diets that you know have been around forever and ever is that they're really hard and um uh, you know people often feel incredibly uncomfortable um for a big part of the day 
um, because they're hungry. Um, they feel like they often miss out um, because there's not a lot of wiggle room every day to, in terms of calorie restriction. You know, it, it can be that you sort of make one wrong move and you've sort of, you, you're not in calorie deficit for the day. And so that can impact your weight loss over the whole week. So there, look, I think there are a lot of barriers to that style of weight loss. And the reason why I think for a lot of people, it's not very appealing or it just simply hasn't worked for them um, long term. Yeah. And I think what's appealing with intermittent fasting is that it generally is considered easier because you don't have to rest, you don't have to count calories, you don't have to restrict food groups, so it's not cu- cutting out carbs or low fat or anything like that. You can eat effectively your the same kind of normal diet, but just over in terms of the sixteen eight method anyway. You're just eating over a shorter window of the day, and certainly the research has suggested that you know you know just in summary. Uh, you know, if you're given the same same number of calories over, say, a 12-hour period versus the same number of car- calories over an eight-hour period, that the people who eat over an eight-hour period do tend to lose weight. So again, you know, a lot of these studies are in a sh- over a shorter period of time. So what actually happens long term, we don't know. But um, that's where you know intermittent fasting can be very appealing. And that's a really critical thing to know because I think people who would say the only reason that intermittent fasting works is because you're in cal- you're in calorie deficit or you're certainly eating less calories, you know, over an eight hour period than what you would if you were eating twelve to fourteen hours. So you know, naturally, you're eating let's say three, four, five hundred calories less. Of course, you're going to lose weight. But that's what you're saying is that so far the studies, the short term studies, have shown you can eat the same amount of calories and yet still lose weight. Um, See, this is the thing. I I struggle with the concept of calories and I grew up in an era where, so in the, you know, 90s, early to mid 90s and that was, you know, when I was, yeah, 16 to sort of 25 and it was all about you've got to count calories and I always felt like I was in a period of punishment or overindulgence. That's always how I felt. With So I, I struggle uh, still, like I go to the gym four or five days a week, et cetera, and in that environment they're still talking about how important it is to count calories. Now, I've, I never ask my clients to keep track of calories because I feel like it always feels like reward and punishment and that's not food freedom or any lifestyle freedom. What would you say is happening if somebody's eating the same amount in eight hours that they would in 12 hours, but they're losing weight? Are we talking about a regulation of hormones? Are we talking about leptin and ghrelin regulation? What do you think or what does the research say is happening to actually help us to achieve a level of fat loss um, by eating for less hours of the day? Look, I I think that the researchers don't know for sure, but the belief is that the 16-8 form of intermittent fasting or method of intermittent fasting is all based on our circadian rhythm. So you might hear it otherwise called this or circadian fasting. So it's all related to how our body is equipped to deal with energy and calories um, throughout the day based on light and dark. So if you think about the way our body responds to light and dark and the, the changes in our hormones. So if you imagine in the morning when the sun starts to come up, Um, our sleep hormone melatonin starts to go down and our insulin goes up. So that's our, you know, it's, it helps to process our, our food basically process our energy, I should say. So, um, so basically in daylight hours, we are really well equipped when we're running around and we're active, we're really well equipped to manage um, calories and manage energy uh, and manage the food that we consume. As soon as the sun goes down, Um, those hormones switch again. So melatonin starts to go up, getting ready for sleep. Insulin goes down. So basically, you know, the the premise behind 16-8 intermittent fasting is narrowing down our eating day to basically only be eating within daylight hours and the hours in which we are, are active and the hours in which we can make the most of those higher insulin levels where our body is able to process food better Whereas at nighttime, and probably one of the biggest issues with a lot of those chronic diseases and weight management is the nighttime eating. Our body is just not equipped to be managing fuel at that time of night. So look, I think um, as far as you were talking about calories before, the way I, I think about it in clinic is for the majority of people, I don't think it's very, it, I don't think it's particularly helpful. That's for sure. Certainly not 
in terms of, and I look, I see a lot of women who have been dieting for a very long time, you know, um, throwing another sort of um, focus on food like that or focus on energy control like that into the mix, I really think only perpetuates, you know, old dieting behaviours and I really don't think it's very helpful. But there is a small part of the population who I think, you know, don't have that strong emotional relationship to food, perhaps haven't had years and years of dieting um, where, you know, perhaps they just, you know, it's really helpful for them to just get a raw idea of the calorie value or the energy value of the food that they're consuming or or the portion of the food that they're consuming. So in that case, um, you know, every now and then I'll get a patient where I might say to them, I just want you to track what you eat on a typical day, just one day, just plug it all into, you know, often we use MyFitnessPal or whatever it is and just plug it in. And I just want you to see what comes out of that. Um, and I think it's quite a good education tool, but as a general rule, I think it's quite laborious. Um, I think, you know, and, and generally it's not very helpful to a lot of people. And again, another reason why I think the 16, eight intermittent fasting method is so popular and so appealing is you don't have to count calories. Whereas we all know, you know, the other well-researched method of intermittent fasting and what probably really prompted the whole um, interest in intermittent fasting, the 5-2 or otherwise known as alternate day fasting, where on non-consecutive days of the week you would have a very low calorie day. And that would mean you would have to, you know, very um, meticulously count the number of calories that you would have on those days. So, look, again, small number of the population I think do really well with that, um, but I think the majority of people don't. And I, I, I very much think, you know, like like you said, you grew up in that era it's sort of the way that we were programmed from a very young age. And I think that it doesn't, you know, have a have a positive impact on our relationship with food long term and and probably for most people not the best thing. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned five and two there. So let's let's just give people a bit of an education about intermittent fasting. I think sixteen eight, as you say, has become sort of the, the more popular one and it's certainly much more easy. Uh, more lib- a more liberating way of fasting than something like a five and two. Yeah. But can you talk about some of the key principles of interme- intermittent fasting generally and then the reasons why someone would choose 16-8 versus five and two and then any other type of fasting method? Sure. So I think you could categorize the two main types of intermittent fasting into sort of there's t- two main categories. So one is um, the 16-8 or otherwise known as 18-6 or time-restricted feeding, or circadian fasting. So they're they're all the names that you might hear um, that method of intermittent fasting called. So basically what it means is it's something that you would do, it's a type of fasting you would do, you know, ideally every day. So it would be part of your everyday routine. And it's where you would, so so the average person would eat over roughly a 12-hour window every day. So let's say, for example, um, most people would, you know, let's say have breakfast around 7 a.m., have their dinner by 7 p.m., and that's their eating day, 12 hours. So effectively what this type of fasting is is narrowing down the number of hours in the day that you eat. So that might be by 10 hours. It might be, in the case of 16-8, might be um, eating within an eight-hour window of the day and then fasting for 16 hours. And, of course, most of that is obviously overnight. Some people then taking it to a slightly more extreme level, um, 18-6 is eating in a six-hour window and fasting for 18 hours. So that's that window, I beg your pardon, that method. The other method is, um, so 5-2 is probably the most commonly known. Um, Then we've got another one which is very common in research as well, which is called alternate day fasting. So basically... Um, 5-2 is five days of eating normally, two non-consecutive days of the week. So, for example, let's say Monday and Thursday or something like that, you would have um, two very, very low-calorie days. So, effectively, if you look at 16-8 where you might get a mild calorie restriction every day, 5-2 and two, you'd get two extreme calorie restrictions and you might end up with the same result over the end of the week in terms of the, the amount of calorie restriction that you might create in terms of for, for a weight loss. Alternate day fasting takes it to a slightly higher level where basically every second day or potentially maybe Monday, Wednesday, Friday, but alternately, alternate days you would have a very low calorie day versus a normal day, uh, sorry, alternated with a normal day. And those very low calorie days um, 
as a general rule for for women, it's about 500 calories. For for men, it's about 600 calories. And it's based on consuming around a quarter of your total daily calories. So in terms of breaking down who it would be most beneficial for, let's just say in clinic, I would probably recommend 16-8 intermittent fasting 90 to 95% of the time and 5 to about 5 to 10% of the time. Sometimes I will do a combination of the two. So I might do, you know, 16-8 for most of the week and one um, low-calorie day a week. It's and, and I think the key here is it's very personal. And, you know, I think as well, one of the things I talk about in the second book is about dialing the intensity up and down depending on what's going on in your life at the time, what you're trying to achieve, um, what your goals are, so that it's something that you can include in your life all the time. So I think 5-2 is really great for people who just want to get it over and done with in two days of the week, who are not that interested in food. They're quite, you know, they can fairly easily get through the whole day on very minimal amounts of food or calories. Um, People who are very, very busy and get distracted by work and sort of forget to eat, I find that that's quite good for them. Um, I think people who it doesn't work for are people who have had that sort of binge restrict cycle before, so chronic dieters, people with, you know, history of eating disorders. So, you know, because I think that any time where there's restriction involved that it can trigger a lot of old um, habits and feelings, emotions, et cetera, so obviously not great. Um, I think it, anyone who's got jobs where people's lives are on the line, they need to be really careful. I do find that those very low-calorie days, some people can feel, um, you know, not very uh, energetic, not super sharp. Uh, mentally so people like surgeons maybe truck drivers taxi drivers you know where people's lives are on the line you know pilots that kind of thing obviously not great for them I interestingly I've found there's quite a group of quite a big group of GPs who do the 5-2 fasting and I think it's just oh wow yeah look I think doctors are trained to kind of um hammer through in really intensive um environments and like not drink much, barely go to the toilet, go hours on end without eating. Um, and certainly GPs, you know, they might, if they're busy, they'll just go back to back to back to back and barely have a time to stop and eat. Um, and yeah. so I do find, and, you know, very often they have that the, that real kind of scientific um, mind as well where they can just kind of switch it off and it's this is what I'm doing today. And so, look, that's just my observation. So that's the 5-2 again. As I said, probably one of the less common uh, methods of intermittent fasting that I use in clinic, Um, simply because I think the 16-8 style is just far more user-friendly. And what I find is really good about it is it's so flexible, whereas 5-2, you can't, it's, that's that's what it is, you've got to stick with it, um, uh, you know, and you need to be quite diligent, whereas I think the the 16-8, you can really be quite flexible with it. So, for example, obviously, you know, an eight-hour eating window might be the target, but let's say you've got a meeting you've got to jump into a bit earlier in the day or you sleep in for a while and you end up eating breakfast a little bit later. The the day can kind of be or your eating window can kind of be adjusted by, you know, eight to ten hours or so depending on what's going on for the day, depending on how you're feeling. I know some women feel very particularly hungry when they're, say, premenstrual, um, you know, feeling quite hormonal, um, uh, you know, when they're particularly stressed, maybe someone going on holidays, you know, there's uh, the amount of times I hear, what am I going to do if there's a breakfast buffet available, you know, where I'm going on holidays, <laughs> yeah, I that's right. skip breakfast, you know, and so it's not about skipping breakfast, it's basically the idea is pushing your first meal of the day out to, you know, a, a few hours after you wake and, and eating um, your dinner and, uh, you know, three or four hours before you go to bed and just sort of narrowing down that eating day um, and kind of preventing the nibbling outside of that. So that's where I find it can be really, really helpful um, and, you know, as I said, really quite flexible. Um, but I think it's got to be personalised and it's got to it's got to really um, match someone's lifestyle and match where they exercise or train, match to where they want to be social, match to where they want to, you know, what's important to them or what's important to their day. For example, some people it's a non-negotiable. They want to go home and eat with their family at 7 o'clock at night. Well, it's not going to suit them to, you know, to, 
to then try and fast from five o'clock in the afternoon, you know. So it's about really, um, and that's my job really as a dietitian is I take a lot of information from my patient to then come up with a personalised program that is hopefully going to suit them in the best way that, that, I, that I can. Well, and that's the key, isn't it? Because at the end of the day, if the, if your way of eating is not liberating you, you're actually causing more problems than you started with. So the ideal way f- to eat is obviously the way that your body responds and also the way according to your lifestyle. So if you're trying to, you know, religiously do five and two and you end up feeling emotional and deprived and it brings up old feelings from childhood and this and that then actually it's um it's not the right method for you so that's a really key thing what you're saying there Jamie which is you've got to find what works for your lifestyle what you can incorporate what feels like it can just be part of your lifestyle not like I'm on a diet type of thing and I was just you know about to say as well that really I think is the key between um, intermittent fasting being considered a diet versus it considered being a lifestyle strategy is how yes. restrictive it feels, how easy it can be incorporated into your life, how it makes you feel. I think, you know, if, you, if you're going against something that feels natural and um, instinctive to you and if it doesn't help to support your, um, your health, um, you know, if it feels harder than it does you know, um, easier than it's not going to, it, it's not going to be right for you long term. There's just no way you're going to be able to sustain it. So um, that's where I think it's really important to to add that flexibility in. That brings me to two questions. Number one is uh, if somebody's just starting on intermittent, intermit, I'll start that again. I'm getting so tongue-tied with this. I want to keep saying IF because that's, you know, how we refer in Well, clinic. you could always just but, say, um, you know, intermittent fasting is a very long word. From now on, as you know, I'm just going to call it IF, Jamie. So if you want to say okay, that. Okay, let's do that. Yeah. <laughs> let's do that. Well, I'm just going to call it IF. So if anybody hears me say IF, we are talking about intermittent fasting. <laughs> so if somebody's just on their IF journey and they think, okay, I'm going to sort of try this, see if this works for all the different things that I'm experiencing with my health, should they go straight to 16 and 8? Or if, for example, if I'm currently eating from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m. and then I'm kind of snacking till 9, so I'm more or less eating over a 14-hour window, should I start to take it back one hour and another hour, another hour slowly so it becomes, um, so it feels like less of a punishment? Is that a, is that a better way to do it? Yeah. So um, if, if I, in, in clinic, what I would do, first of all, is have a really good look at the quality of someone's diet. So what I'm, you know, what I'm getting at is there's no point in starting intermittent fasting if the quality of your diet is, is not great. So. Yeah. So no, no nuggets for eight hours. You're, you're saying not eight hours of nuggets. <laughs> exactly. So obviously intermittent fasting is a, is a great health strategy and can be a great weight strategy, but Long term, if the quality of your diet is not great, I really think that that has to be the first thing that's tackled. Now, if that's all good, then um, and and perhaps you're a little bit um, uh, nervous about embarking on an intermittent fasting regime. Perhaps you're really used to eating first thing in the morning, or you're used to snacking late at night. I absolutely agree with you, and just you know, working on reducing by an hour, you know, every week or however long you want. Um, and slowly narrowing down that window, um, I think, is a really, really sensible thing to do. And as a general rule, look, that obviously that's one way of doing it. The other is if you want to rip the Band-Aid off and go cold turkey, which some people really do, I my observation is between about one to three weeks it takes, our body adapts to this really well for most people. So the amount of times that I've heard I was really hungry for the first few days and now I'm totally fine. I don't feel hungry outside my eating window. I feel quite energetic. Um, And, uh, you know, so I think it's really important to just remember our body will adapt to, you know, something after a period of time. Obviously, if it's not a healthy habit, perhaps not. But this, you know, um, narrowing down your eating window, um, it's certainly our body will adapt to it uh, over a period of time. Um, So, yeah, I think there's probably two ways you can tackle it. You could do it very slowly, knocking off an hour or so every every week or however long you want to take it. Um, Or you could just, as I said before, you know, blast straight into it 
but just give yourself a little bit of time to adapt to it. And, and it, as a general rule, does get easier over time. Now, just back to the chicken nuggets. By the way, this is not my diet, so <laughs> this, I'm definitely not speaking from my experience. But I have lots of clients who, you know, the, the diets, I actually don't have a lot of clients who, whose diets are really terrible. But let's say, let's say if I have a client who, um, or I am a person who just eats McDonald's for breakfast and, you know, takeaway for lunch and then whatever's going for dinner, if I decide that I want to try IF, and it's not even necessarily for weight loss, let's say, but maybe I've got sore joints, maybe I have digestive issues, maybe there's, you know, lots of things going on and I want to try IF. If I restrict my eating to the eight-hour window, but I don't change what I'm eating yet, now you're, what you're saying makes perfect sense, which is better idea is to make some adjustments to the quality of your food first and then bring it down to IF. But let's say we do it the other way. Are there still benefits to IF while I'm still keeping the same, you know, pretty average diet? Yes. So in in a very raw scientific sense, um, the research does suggest that. So if you look at the I think I mentioned the study before where, you know, there was the same number of calories consumed over the whole day, certain study where they didn't sort of look at, it, at what you ate, just when you ate. So the group that ate um, the same number of calories over a longer period of the day versus over a smaller, shorter period of the day, um, food quality wasn't considered in that study. It was just about eating time. So research suggests yes. So I guess in theory, if you're looking to improve your health, then, you know, and you're really, you know, holding tight to the, the, the junk food or whatever it is that you're eating that may, may not be the healthiest food, um, then I guess intermittent fasting, including that in, could have some health benefits. And I suppose it would be better than doing nothing, that's for sure. Um, however, as a clinical dietitian, I that I find really hard to swallow. And I, and I, I guess the problem is that, you know, there's a lot of other things that go along with um, the eating of junk food as well, which is the, you know, cardiovascular risk factors, the increased risk of type 2 diabetes, um, uh, the, as you mentioned before as well, you know, the effect on our digestion and that type of thing. Um, so, you know, th that to me I think really is is probably more, would be more of a priority. But, you know, I guess to answer your question in a very raw sense, yeah, obviously doing intermittent fasting is going to have some health benefits um, if that's all you can manage right now first up. Yeah. So it's more like a yes but sort of approach. Very but what so you're saying is if that's all yeah. you can do, yeah, then yeah, at least there's some benefit to that and then peel away the layers as you can. Of course. I, I reluctantly say yeah. that, but, yes, that's what the reason is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I feel you. Yeah. It, it feels almost like it feels um, it feels like it, it goes against everything you know about how you should advise your clients, Absolutely. doesn't it? <laughs> like I don't want you to eat burgers for eight hours, but okay, then let's do that. <laughs> Who benefits the most from fasting, do you think? And who shouldn't attempt to incorporate fasting into their routine? Um, the other thing I want to throw in here, and I'll just ask you at the end, at the end of you, you know, when you've answered this part, is can we talk about the risks of overfasting? And mm -hmm. I'm talking about hormone disturbances and things like that. But let's just go back. Who benefits the most, and who shouldn't attempt to incorporate fasting? Yeah, sure. So you know, there is a group of people who I think. Could benefit the most from the 16-8 intermittent fasting, and that's busy parents slash mums. So if you think about the life of a busy mum, for example, and I'm sorry, dads, I'm just talking because I see a lot of mums, and, and I am a mum, and so I I, I, I yeah. know firsthand the benefits. So um, if you think about the life the lives of mums and the, what I hear almost on a daily basis is we get up, it's all go. I'm trying to get kids dressed, pack lunch boxes feed, you know, kids food, pile them in the car, remember sports gear, it's full on trying to get kids, you know, sorted and out, out the door in the morning. And the first person that suffers from that inevitably is mum who, you know, generally might be able to, you know, throw down a coffee or something. But more often than not, there's no lunch packed for her. She's just managed to get her clothes on, get the kids out the door, usually hasn't eaten anything herself. And, um, you know, once the, once the kids are out and the kids are, you know, uh, at school, then it's sort of like, right, I can kind of focus on myself again. And by the time that usually happens, it's 9, 10 o'clock in the morning and really the perfect time to break your fast as far as six to eight intermittent fasting goes. 
Um, then if you look at the latter end of the day, most kids eat at five or six at night, most kids, you know, particularly younger kids. Um, so, you know, there are many cases where, you know, mums might sit down and just and eat with the kids. And to be honest, I think that's ideal and great for a number of different reasons, not just for intermittent fasting. Um, but then there's also lots of my patients who I see who, you know, feed the kids, pick on bits of the kids' dinner, and then they'll go on to make another dinner for hubby and and her when hubby gets home or something along those lines. So it's not only kind of a mini dinner at dinner at the kids' dinner time, but then also another dinner later on in the evening. It's double the workload. Um, so look, I think there is a really strong case for busy mums um, and or busy parents uh, doing intermittent fasting. Um, I think it can slot into their day really well. I know um, with my kids on the days that I'm with them, I generally um, will uh, fast through the morning and then I come home and when they eat lunch at about 11, I will, I'll break my fast then and then I'll have a snack or two with them through the afternoon and then I'll have dinner with them at 5, five 6 o'clock and then I'm done and it's the perfect intermittent fasting day, you know. So I tie yeah, that into their great. day and it just makes everyone's life so much easier. The others who I think it works really well for are are corporate workers. Um, So, you know, nine to fivers or, you know, eight till teners or whatever. But I think, you know, um, getting out the door in the morning, not trying to jam down breakfast when you first wake up in the morning, the sun hasn't even come out yet because you think you you need to. Just taking your time, getting ready, get to work. Um, And then once you've sort of settled in, computer's on, Um, then sort of later in the morning start to think about whenever you've got a little gap, whenever you're starting to feel hungry, all right, I might. And look, not all officers, uh, you know, are like this and you're able to do this. But if you can, I think it's really beneficial to then kind of, you know, go to the kitchen and make yourself some breakfast or whatever you've brought from home, um, have it a bit later on. Um, I think that works really well. Um, And look, if most office workers can get home and be having dinner by sort of seven, maybe eight o'clock at night time, you know, I think that kind of regime can work really well. The others are um, corporate travellers, so people that travel a lot. So I think that type of fasting can be um, adapted to, uh, you know, any time zone. Um, I think it can be quite good to sort of completely avoid eating on planes. For some, you know, I've got some patients who are just on planes every week, you know, whether it might be interstate or internationally, you know, it's eating in um in the uh, lounges at the airport, it's then eating on the plane, it's then drinking on the plane, it's then eating with clients endlessly. I think if you can just put some timing around eating occasions can be really beneficial because I do find it's a very it's a very big barrier for um, maintaining good health, maintaining bowel habits, maintaining weight um, for these types of people. So I think intermittent fasting would be quite good for that. There is some research to show that it might be great for shift workers as well, but there's still some work being done on that. Um, Natural meal skippers. So, you know, there's a lot of people that are so like, you know, I'll talk to them and they're they're quite hungry in the morning. They like a good lunch. And then they get home from work and they're just not that hungry. They're not that interested in food. So it's like, all right, let's make the most of that and let's put, you know, some formal um, eating times around that rather than just maybe nibbling on something because you think you should. Let's just do some intermittent fasting and make the most of that. Um, and on the flip side, people who wake up not that hungry, waiting till a bit later in the morning to break their fast. Um, it actually makes gives room for a little bit more of intuitive eating as well, doesn't it? Because you're not eating just because you think you should or this is the lunchtime or this is the breakfast. So it gives you a chance to think what what do I what does my body actually feel like? Yeah. And if I'm not a morning eater, then it's fine for me to not do it. it. It feels more natural really, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, and we've all heard of, you know, breakfast is the most important meal of the day. I would say to you um, that is true to a certain sense, but I don't mean like breakfast as in, you know, the second you wake up in the morning. I just mean, you know, when we talk about breakfast, we talk about meal one, is the most important meal of the day, the way in which you break your fast. But when that is, if it's an hour after you wake up or if it's three or four hours after you wake up, it doesn't really matter. It's got to suit you. Yeah, absolutely. And then who shouldn't attempt to incorporate fasting? I sort of touched on this before, but I think most importantly, you know, anyone with a history of eating disorders or or, or 
So I guess I step down from that being like chronic dieters, so people with sort of maybe slightly disordered eating habits or a history of sort of binge restrict cycles, I definitely think need to be very, very careful with intermittent fasting. Because as I said, for some people, you can really turn it into a diet if you want to. You know, I've got patients who want to count their calories within their fasting, their eating window, sorry. Um, you know, who want to restrict their carbohydrates within their their eating window. So it's really important to be careful. Um, obviously, you know, any vulnerable population, pregnant and breastfeeding women, anyone under 18 or who's not fully developed yet, anyone who's underweight already, absolutely nuts to do intermittent fasting. Um, and, you know, again, I also mentioned this before, but anyone that has a job that requires really physical precision or, you know, have has people's lives in their hands, I suppose, need to be really careful. Just in that fasting window, some people feel really sharp and very, you know, really fantastic um, doing the 16-8 style of intermittent fasting because it's really not that extreme either. And you can also, as I said before, dial it up and down in terms of the intensity. So it may, you know, suit some people if they do it correctly. Um, I think it's probably more the 5-2 style where you're having those really low-calorie days where you probably need to be most careful with that kind of, with you know, those sorts of jobs. Um, also, anyone who, uh, you know, the older population, we're just not really sure, maybe 70, 75 plus, we're just not sure the impact that intermittent fasting has. Um, always good to check with specialists. The other one is anyone with a, a chronic or complex medical history um, anyone on, uh, you know, a number of medications, um, particularly medications that adjust your blood sugar levels, um, may in fact be brilliant for you, but you have to check with your GP or your specialist before embarking on it. Yeah, and that's where if you've got other underlying issues, then you, as you say, you see your GP, you, you know, ideally maybe an integrated GP who kind of understands this stuff in a holistic fashion, also nutritionist or a dietitian who has a holistic approach, somebody who can actually help you to step through and know know if it's appropriate for you and or not, correct? Yeah, that's exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Now, I wanted to touch really quickly on overfasting. Now, uh, 16 and 8, you know, it the, the, feels like there's no risks aside from what we just talked about with overfasting for 16 and 8 because it's a pretty sensible eating window. But, of course, there's always people that take things to extreme. Some of us have those personalities or those tendencies. So are there risks with overfasting? And I guess I'm more talking about taking it to the extreme, like people who think, well, if 16 and 8 is better, then what about if I do 2 and 22 or something like yeah. that? Or if I never take a break from fasting or, you know, are there risks with hormone disturbances and anything else for people who are tempted to overfast, fast too often, fast too too long? Absolutely. So the I think the hormone disturbances are the main thing. Um, so what we're talking about here is mainly the population of young women in reproductive years. Um, I think that overfasting, if you imagine that when we're in our reproductive years, our our reproductive cycle relies on energy availability, you know, and so as soon as there's a disruption to that, it can kind of really shut down those processes or disrupt that process. So obviously some people are much more sensitive to that than others, but I think that as soon as we take it to extreme, um, you know, it, it can really disrupt, um, uh, you know, our hormones. It can uh, sort of impact our ability to actually lose weight and to, to sort of reach our goals as well. So, look, I've actually got a case study, um, an example of a young woman who I've been seeing for some time, and she's um, gearing up for, for fertility um, and she is just sort of let's say she's on the higher end of the normal BMI range, so certainly not overweight, but just wanting to lose about five kilos or so. So she blasted into a very intensive um, uh, intermittent fasting regime that included um, two 24-hour fasts a week. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. Um, and they just kind of naturally occurred because she, the nature of her work means that she's on the road all the time. She's um, seeing a lot of clients back to back and so she just kind of stopped eating through the day and just kind of rolled with it. Mm. Um, and then she also then included some 16-8 fasting on top of that as well on the, on the um, days that she wasn't doing those big fasts. And what was interesting was when she first started, I was able to actually track her and let me tell you, I, I advised against her doing this and I explained all the reasons why. 
And so I did all her measurements and I uh, tracked her weight and then we um, saw each other a few weeks later and her weight hadn't changed at all despite doing this intensive fasting regime. And I reminded her again of um, what her body is probably going through and how it's probably not very happy and um, that if she, you know, that even by, you know, pulling back on this fasting regime that she was really holding on tight to, that, you know, she probably would in fact start to see some weight loss. Um, and lo and behold, she 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 ended up doing one 24-hour fast um, uh, a week, which, you know, is okay for some people. Um, but then we got rid of the 16-8 fasting, just had her eating over, you know, it's sort of normal 10 to 12-hour um, window of the day. Um, uh, I think regular consumption of food is pretty important as well to, to add, you know, whether whatever your eating window is, once you start eating, our metabolism really requires on regular, requires regular consumption every three to four hours or so. And lo and behold, boom, a really nice little weight loss she got. So um, yeah, it's, it's amazing how just by feeding the body appropriately, it's sort of like five, I think about it like finding this, this perfect little sweet spot where your body's happy um, you know it's it's being well looked after well nourished um, where and all of a sudden it's it's really happy to give up you know stored energy um, and that's where we usually get that loss and that's the thing isn't it your body's got to have a sense of safety and if 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 for you intermittent fasting is about weight loss your body has to have a sense of safety in order to drop the weight you could eat 500 calories a day and be in virtual starvation and actually not drop a kilo because your body doesn't feel safe to do so. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I think, you know, most scientists would say there's an evolu- evolutionary component to that, um, you know, the feast and famine kind of um, response. So I think by being in a mild calorie restriction, um, making sure that you're well nourished, um, usually the body's pretty happy then to kind of give away stored energy. And, you know, we're always a bit better off to kind of um, be burning that energy off rather than starving it off anyway in terms of long, long-term long management of, of weight. So, um, you know, going to extreme um, is it usually doesn't work for most people, particularly those young females, I think. Yeah. So, Jamie, do you do a 16-8 yourself? I do. So I, you know, again, I, I am quite flexible with it. Um, and this is what I've developed over time is, um, you know, a really intuitive way of, of eating. I eat when I'm hungry or I eat when I, uh, you know, depending on what our day looks like and, you know, where we're at and what we're doing. Um, uh, so as a general rule, my day looks like a, a long black coffee with a dash of milk um, in the morning when I wake up. And then usually whether I'm at work in clinic or I'm out and about with the kids, I grab a, a like a takeaway coffee. Um, that's usually around 9 o'clock, 9, nine 10 o'clock. And then my first meal of the day is anywhere between there and, say, 11 o'clock, between 9 and 11, depending, again, on where I am, where I am, how hungry I am, what we're up to, how much activity I've done, et cetera. Um, I'll always either have a second. So let's say I've eaten a little bit earlier in the day. I might have another meal, which one might call lunch, you know, sort of at normal lunchtime, one o'clock. If I've eaten my first meal of the day a little bit later in the morning, so closer to lunchtime, I might have a snack or two through the afternoon. So that might be, um, you know, I love, you know, often it's what the kids eat. So it's some chopped fruit. It might be some crackers and cheese. It might be some chopped up veggies and, and hummus, always a big cup of tea with that. And then I usually, almost every night, I will eat dinner with the kids and there is, I feel really strongly about that. First of all, for my health, I think it's much easier because if I wasn't eating with the kids, I'd be wanting to snack. I'd be That's where I'm hungry. It makes perfect sense for me to be eating when the kids eat dinner because that's when I'm genuinely hungry. So rather than sort of nibble earlier and then have a bigger dinner later or the other way around, um, I find eating with the kids is great. Plus I think sitting at the table with the kids and having a chat and being a good role model eating, I look, I feel really strongly about that for me and my kids. So that's always something that I do with them. Um, and then look, you know, there's often once you put the kids to bed, there might be, there's always a cup of tea or something like that. Maybe a little square of very dark chocolate if I'm feeling that way inclined. But yeah, I've, I've adapted the, the principles to intermittent fasting to suit my lifestyle. And I really, I really, I think is, you know, 
I feel the best that I've ever felt, I think, in terms of cognitively, um, energetically, um, and, you know, I, th- I think it really is something that suits me um, very much. So um, I couldn't speak more highly of it. But I do really understand that it isn't for everyone. Um, but I think, it, you know, it's good to just, I think it's a reminder just to take a little bit of time experimenting a little bit and trying to figure out what yeah. works best for you. Yes, absolutely. I, I had a conversation with a, a new friend I, I met last week who is seeing a um, dietitian or a specialist in keto and the only thing they do is keto. And I happened to say, you know, I'm a functional nutritionist and they said, what diet do you do? Like, do you recommend? Yeah. And I'm saying, well, it's not a one size fits all, you know, like you, you've just said there, you, you are a fasting specialist. However, you're also up open to the fact that fasting doesn't suit everybody and you just don't, you know, spruik fasting as if it's the gospel and, you know, everybody's got to find what works for them. So I, I really like that approach, but I also love the idea that you're practicing what you preach and you know how it feels to fast and you, you understand the benefits and the pitfalls and all of that. So I think that's really great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now you've published two books on fasting. So while we're wrapping up here, can you give me a a bit of an overview about these books and also where people can get their hands on them? Absolutely. So the first book is, um, so is, is six called 16, 18 intermittent fasting. I guess it's now, let me think, it must be about five years old now, four or five years old. Um, I think I wrote it when my eldest was about was a little baby I think he was about six months old so yeah um oh because you had nothing else to do (laughs) (laughs) um so really I guess it's sort of an an introduction to to that method of intermittent fasting um it's a summary of the research it that particular book also includes some information on 5-2 intermittent fasting too so you know again just like we talked about today the pros and cons of each who it might be suited for, um, what a day might look like of, of intermittent fasting, how you could potentially use the two in conjunction, um, you know, uh, what kind of results that you can expect. And with both books, the whole back section is a whole lot of recipes. So with the first book there, um, both of them are just normal, healthy, wholesome recipes that are, you know, sort of uncommon, uh, regular rotation at home for us, lots of vegetable bulk, lean protein, you know, all the good stuff. Um, with the first book, there is some adjustments that you can make to each of those recipes to, I guess, make them low calorie for a, a, a low calorie fasting day, a 5-2 fasting day. We decided not to go ahead with that with the second book and focus just solely on 16-8 because in that time, a huge m- amount of more research came out on 16-8. Um, again, like we spoke about earlier, I felt strongly about trying to prevent people from calorie counting if they didn't have to um, yeah. and really focusing on the fact that doing 16-8, um, you know, was probably the most feasible for um, including into your lifestyle forever. So hence we called it the 16-8 Intermittent Lifestyle Plan. So, the, again, it was a, another deep dive into the, the most recent research and update on the research. Um, but then also, you know, again, like what we talked about before, who who can really benefit from intermittent fasting, what a day might look like for them. Um, and so, you know, lots of sort of questions that have cropped up in the meantime between first and second books. So lots of answering frequently asked questions. So, you know, really kind of getting to the bottom of it to help people figure out a way of including it into their diet um, every day, forever with a particular focus on that flexibility and dialing up and down the intensity of it so that it's something that on some level you can do every day, whether it's, you know, eating over a 12-hour window over the day on some days because that's just all you can manage, whereas, you know, perhaps um, you've come back from holidays and you want to sort of really get back into the swing of it, you dial right back up again and you're strictly doing, you know, sort of eight-hour eating window for a period of time just to get back into the swing of it, just to give you a rough example. So I guess they're the main differences between the two books. I think, you know, a lot of people say, which one should I get? They just have both completely different information in them. So I think there's benefits to getting both of them. Sounds like one layers on top of the other almost. Is that That's right? exactly right. Yeah, yeah. So the second one really builds on the first one, but there's quite a lot of, the, I mean, it's predominantly all new information. So both I think are really beneficial Um 
on a, on a number of different levels. If you're a complete, not a beginner, start with the first one, then build to the second one. Um, so yeah, they've been, um, they were a real, a real joy to write though. So I'm very proud of them. <laughs> yeah, you should be. And where do we find them? Where do we buy them? Well, I think probably the best place and the, um, the best place is online. So if you Google them, um, what you will find is a number of different places where they're available online. So it might be Booktopia, it might be Amazon, um, you know, even like Dimex online. Um, I think online is the, the safest place to find them. Um, right. So, yeah, yeah. So I guess we could just Google J- Jamie Rose Chambers books and they'd probably come up, yeah? Yeah, or the 16-8 Intermittent Fasting book. If you if yeah. you Google that, yeah. So look, a lot of big um, bookshops will still um, uh, will still um, often have them, um, but um, I think online is really the safest bet. That's great. And then, if anybody wants to follow what you're doing, or get in touch with you, or read more about you know what you're doing on a daily basis or whatnot, what what are your social channels and website, etc.? So website is um, jamierosenutrition.com.au and Jamie is spelled J-A-I-M-E. Um, I must say I'm not terribly good at updating my um, website, but all my it's more of a landing page with all my sort of clinic information and everything. I'm much more active on um, Instagram um, and that is jamierose underscore nutrition. Uh, and there, there is my um, email. You can direct message me anytime. If you've got any questions, really happy to answer them. That's great. Jamie, it's been really insightful having a chat with you today. And I think you've probably wet a lot of people's appetites to either go back and try 16-8 or kind of explore it and, and uh, look at what benefits there can be for their own health and lifestyle. So thank you so much for joining me and chatting today. Oh, such a pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Unconscious is presented by OneSeed. Find out more at oneseedperfumes.com.